All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Calvary Church. Uh, we are glad that you're here. My name is Peter. And if you don't know me, my name's Peter. <clears throat> and whether you know me or not, man, we're sure glad you're here. If you're new, if you're looking for a church, if you're just trying to figure out, maybe been here a few weeks, what's trying to do. A bulletin, and there's a few ways for you to let us know that you're here. You can do that through a hard copy. There's a little rip-off, tear-off card that you can grab, and you can drop it in one of our offering boxes with your contact info or any particular questions you have. If you're digitally minded and you're like, I want to save the dolphins, I don't want to use paper, uh, I guess although you're already holding paper, you can use a QR code and grab that. But anyway, we'd love to know that you're here if you feel like maybe God's calling you to be part of this body because we want you to get some information and be able to and walk back to you. Uh, I'm flipping on and off, Canaan, but we'll figure it out. Um, and that we have this new thing here for those who regularly come, right? I've started this new motto a few weeks ago. <clears throat> Two things I want you to do. One person remembered it because they've already kind of like grimaced like this weirdo Peter's really going to say it. I'm really going to say it. What we want you to do at Calvary, if you come every week, we want you to bring the word and grab a bulletin. Bring the word, grab a bulletin. Bring the word, grab a bulletin. We want to be a church that's in the Bible, in the word, whether it's a hard copy or a digital version. And we want you to know what is going on. And so we would love for you to grab this. We don't want to waste your time. We want to give you helpful information. What we're trying to do here at Calvary Church, right, what we've launched this new vision this year, is we want to build a body of disciples. Build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact others with God's love and truth. Build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact others with God's word and truth. And so what we have in here every week is information about how at Calvary together we're putting together opportunities for you to grow as disciples. We're putting out opportunities for us to impact others, how we're going to equip you, train, what we can do. And so we'd love for you to get this. If you grab it, and if you don't, I'll tell you one thing that's in it. One thing, an exciting opportunity for our student ministry this summer. We have two different mission trips going out. We have an adult trip going and a student ministry trip uh, to go to do just what we want to do, right? To collectively make an impact by sharing God's love and truth with other people. So our students are going to Philly, and they've gone many years in a row, and it's been a really impactful trip, and they're excited about it. And if you and I are not a student, and we will not be going to Philly, we'll still have some ways to partner with them and to support them and to be part of what they're going to do. And one way is through prayer, and we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks. But this coming weekend, next weekend, we're going to have some ways that, man, if you just have some resources and want to help fund this trip so that some kids who maybe are having a hard time scraping together some money will be able to go on the trip. You'll have two ways to partner with a group of people from our church who are trying to make an impact with others. You can get your car washed for free and then give them like 10 bucks. Okay? But it's free. For 10 bucks. So you can come next Saturday. I think it's next Saturday because I don't hear Jim Taylor. June 11th, 10 to 2. Car wash right in this parking lot. Love for you to come by. If you've got like a Maserati and you don't want them to wash it, just come by and give them 100. Okay, it'll be good. <clears throat> if some of you are like, Peter, I really think that I've gone green and I'm carbon friendly. So I've got a bike. I don't have a car. And so I can't get my car washed. But I would just love another way next weekend to help support these kids on the trip. Do we have a deal for you? Because you can pedal your bike here on Sunday morning for our worship services. And on your way out, 
of either our time of worship or our time of discipleship after this. There will be students probably wearing matching t-shirts who will have one of the most delectable treats straight from the Garden of Eden, Krispy Kreme donuts. It's true. It's almost up there with Chick-fil-A. Krispy Kreme donuts. So what we'd love for you to do, if, if you've got, man, an op, something going on tomorrow afternoon, you're just hungry and need a snack, we'd love for you to just, to, uh, as an appreciation for the prayers we know you'll give and who you are, we'd love for you to grab a box of donuts, and then again, if the Lord lays on your heart to support financially, they'll be receiving donations. So two ways for us to rally with the next generation who's doing what our vision is. What we want to do here at Calvary Church is to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact other people with God's love and God's truth. And so before we jump into the sermon, I just kind of want to ask those of us who call this our church home, how did you do with that this week? How did you do with that this week? If we really want to grow as disciples, how did you do? What did you do? Did you do anything this week to personally prioritize your own growth, <clears throat> your own development as a disciple? What did that look like for you this week? How did you do with that this week? And if maybe this week it wasn't as strong as you might hope, hey, another week's coming and another opportunity to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. The second question is we want to make an impact to people around us. We, we're going to talk about as we end the series today the ways that collectively opportunities of what we can look like. But in your own life, this week, did you have the opportunity to make an impact with anybody around you and perhaps in some way show a little bit of God's love and God's truth to them? Did you have that opportunity? Were you looking for that opportunity? Did you miss that opportunity? Did you pull back from that opportunity? We as a church want to build a body of disciples who personally and collectively impact other peoples with God's love and truth, and that will depend ultimately on how well each of us individually prioritize and pursue those things. And I think we're at a really exciting moment, and I think there's some great stuff ahead, and God has put before us a culture that is ripe with opportunity. And it's like T-ball, right? The ball is on the little T. And man, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can come and just swing and see what he will have us do. And man, let's, let's go for it. So we have opportunities every day individually to do those things, and so let's not squander those, and let's be aware and be looking for those. We're going to wind down a series today <clears throat> that we've been working through. If you're visiting Calvary, what we do, 99% of the time, we open up a book of the Bible and we preach through it, kind of paragraph through paragraph, verse by verse. We've been doing that here at Calvary for over 100 years. That's been part of the legacy here, and, and we still continue to do that today. We're wrapping down a series now. Uh, next week, we're going to start a series There's in, in some Johns. There's a biography of Jesus, that's a John, written by a guy named John, and then there's uh, three different letters or other documents, um, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and we're going to spend weeks working through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and then we're going to do kind of a standalone series, and then what we've talked about, right, in the fall, <clears throat> bring the word, grab a bulletin, drink your coffee, put on your big boy pants, because we're doing the book of Revelation, and we're not doing the because I think the world is ending. We're doing the book of Revelation because it's good as Christians to understand heavy topics, and so we'll do that. And so we have a chance today to wrap up this series, looking for what's ahead. So let me pray, and then we're going to get into it. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come again to your word. And we're grateful yourself to us. And I pray, Father, as we move into what you have, um,
be with us and you will guide us and we will understand the great opportunities you have for us together as a church and how you want us. Be with us now, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, what do you want to do, Cain? He's bringing back. All right, we're going to do that. This Mike Pack doing this. Savannah, George. Oh, baby. Like, if one light was working in the place, it was a miracle, right? I mean, so this, oh, <laughs> jeez. It's like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi, man. <laughs> Usually there's like a subtle walk on the stage. That was magical. All right, what were you? Thank you, Dave. Yes, Dave. Uh, leading up to Easter, right? What happened last week of Jesus' life? What happened to his death and crucifixion and resurrection? And what we're doing is we're saying, hey, there's these series of events that happen between his resurrection and when he ascends back to heaven that are vital and many times churches don't even talk about. So we've been talking about that. And today is our last series in the after uh, sermon series that we've been going through. And Jesus has left. And what we started talking about last week is after Jesus leaves, the church begins, and those two events are inextricably linked because the end of Jesus' earthly ministry is the beginning of the church's ministry. Those two things go hand in hand. And so last week, we spent some time talking about the church. It's a two-part series, and we thought and talked about how sometimes a picture of something shows you what that thing should look like. A picture of something shows you the ideal of what something should be like and how it should function. And I told you about my amazing uni pizza oven, right? And how I couldn't put together. So I looked at a picture to see where I should put those things. And the picture showed me what the thing should look like. And so what we're doing this week and what we started last week is saying, hey, what, what should we look like? What should a church look like? What's the ideal picture of a church? What should it be doing? And most importantly, what does that mean? What opportunity does it have for us? What is the ideal picture of a church? What should a church look like? What should a church be about? What should a church be known for? What should we look like? What should we be about? What should we be known for? That's what we're going to finish up this series thinking about in today's text. But it raises a question, well, why does it matter? Like, okay, Peter, like, why does this matter? And here's why it matters. <clears throat> because the church, group of Christians gathered together, has the possibility and the responsibility and the opportunity to further and to expand God's kingdom. The church has the opportunity to impact people with truth, to give hope to people, to meet tangible needs. That's the opportunity we have. The group, the entity that Jesus left with this great mission, when he said, look, the world is broken, 
Things in the world aren't the way they're supposed to be. People in the world don't know me. People in the world need hope. People in the world need truth about how to be restored to a God. People in the world need their tangible needs and physical needs met because a loving God is a God who loves people and wants them to have needs met. And when Jesus decided, okay, what group am I going to leave to do those things? He didn't leave a political party to do those things. He didn't leave an NGO to do those things. He didn't leave a nonprofit parachurch organization to do those things. What he did is he left a group of ragtag, broken people who did some things well and other things not so well. And he said, hey, I'm going to leave my ministry to you. And through the help of the Holy Spirit, I want you to change the world. And if you can't change the whole world, I want you to at least make an impact in the place in the world in which you find yourselves planted. The reason, I think, that there's parachurch organizations and NGOs and political parties doing all sorts of things is because you know what? We failed. The church, at different times in history, has failed to stand in the gap to do what it was supposed to do, and in that vacuum, other organizations have risen up to do amazing things and good work, but ultimately the work of spreading God's kingdom and making the world look like the type of world he wants it to be, telling people what gives them hope for restoration and, and showing them love is our opportunity. And, and we don't want to miss it. That's what you and I have the opportunity to do together. And so we're going to be in the same passage last week it's because we were Acts 2, 42 through 47, and we're going to see nine traits of the ideal church. Nine traits. If you were paying attention last week, you'll probably remember there used to be ten traits, but I've killed one, so we have nine traits. Creates all sorts of intrigue, right? What trait did he... Tenth trait is a very handsome, rugged pastor, and obviously we don't have that, so let's not talk about that. <clears throat> Ninth trait. Okay, here's what we saw as the first three traits of the ideal church. Trait number one. The ideal church is a trait that is empowered by God. Secondly, the church is a church that has devoted and committed participants. We used a lot of food illustrations, right, to kind of hit that point and how there's some obstacles and opportunities to people in today's culture that makes them less devoted and engaged in things. And then what the ideal church does is it keeps Jesus and his work central. And so let's keep going and let's see some other traits. I'll read the whole passage to you and then we'll unpack it. This is a snapshot. This is the picture of what the first church was known for and what they did. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This passage shows a bunch of things that this group of Christians were devoted to. And interestingly, I <clears throat> saw this this morning in another thing that I was reading, and I checked into it. But what's really interesting, right, this was the first group. What seems to be true is at this point, right, the resurrected Jesus is in his early 30s chronologically age-wise. But the disciples, what seems to be true is a lot of scholars think, man, these guys were like 20, early 20s. 
the group of people we see gathered together are not the wise saints with long life experience in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and 100s who've been. These are like young adults who are trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus, what do we do, and the one thing, another thing we see, that they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, that would have been two things. That would have been all the stuff that's in the Old Testament, the scripture in the Old Testament. They would have gotten together. They would have talked about it. But also what they would have done is they would have gotten together with the disciples, and the disciples would have said, hey, let me remind you of what Jesus taught. Let me remind you of what you heard when you were following. Let me tell you about what Jesus did in his resurrection. They gathered themselves together, and they talked about truth of God from the Old Testament, and they talked about oral testimony about Jesus. And that trait that we see that flows out of that is this, that they were committed to God's word as the authority. They were committed to God's word as the authority. Churches have all sorts of choices about what they can have at the very foundation of their time together. They can make choices about what they want to be known for, right? What's at the heart of what they do? But one thing that an ideal church makes foundational is a commitment to God's word as the authority. And here at Calvary, like I said earlier, man, from day one, a hundred and how many years ago, the foundational authority for this group of people has been this, a commitment to this. And today, we as leaders, as the elders, as the pastors, we go to this when there's decisions to be made about doctrinal things or how to navigate things. The very first place we go is, does God's word speak to it? When it comes to conflict, when you hypothetically face conflict with somebody else here, it doesn't happen, but <clears throat> if it did, when you're in conflict with somebody in leadership, the very first week place we go when we say, how do we navigate this conflict? Is we say, man, does the word give us any instructions or any model about how we should handle conflict? Now, I'm not saying that we're not infallible, we're not inerrant, but I want you to have confidence that we're committed to doing what God says the way that God says to do it. Since the Bible's the authority, and you guys know this, but the job of whoever gets up here is not to tell you what they think. It's not. The job of whoever gets up here is to tell you what this says, and then, man, you better be paying attention and taking responsibility to make sure that person's actually telling you accurately. It's not my job to tell you whether I think the speed limit should be 55 miles an hour or 75 miles an hour. That's not my job. I think it should be 95 miles an hour. <clears throat> my job is to say, hey, hey, does God speak to it? And if he speaks to it, here's what he has said. And based on what he has said, here's some ways you may want to apply that, but you need to prayerfully think through the power of the Holy Spirit how you can apply it in your own life. We, as a group, collectively, are committed to God's word as the authority. And the question is, for you individually, are you committed to it? Now, I know that there's some people here that you're like, bro, I don't, even, I don't know if this is true. <clears throat> I don't know about the whole Jesus thing. That, we are so glad you're here. 
But for those of you who would say, I actually believe this is true, I actually believe it's inspired, it's inerrant, I believe it's true, then the question for you is, okay, that's good that you believe that. Are you committed to it as the authority? Are you committed to doing what it says the way that it says to do it? Or are you kind of picking and choosing, eh, like that, not so much? Remember IHOP, International House of Pancakes? <clears throat> I got so mad when they did that stupid marketing thing a few years ago, International House of Burgers. Do you remember that? They took the P, they shifted it around, they made it a B, and they're like, we're rebranded. It was all a publicity scam, but man, my blood pressure raised. I'm like, you don't make burgers, make pancakes. When I used to go to the International House of Pancakes with my sweet wife in Greenville, South Carolina, you would sit in that nasty booth that was sticky and ripped and bleh. I mean, it was not COVID friendly. And the beautiful thing, there to your left side, if you were sitting there, would be this, this potpourri of like 42 different types of syrup. You remember those 42 different syrups? If you paid $2 extra, you could have real maple syrup. But there was like fake original syrup, boysenberry syrup, blueberry syrup, raspberry syrup, cotton candy syrup, right? You name it, there was syrup. And the best was just to take it all and pour it on, right? You had the choice of, I'll take a little of that syrup and pour it on, but I'm not going to touch that syrup. That is what some Christians do with God's word. What some Christians do with God's word is think there's a choice of different syrups that you can take the syrup and the piece that you want and use it, but if you're not really interested in that applying, nope, I'll put it aside for another day. The ideal church is a church that is committed to God's word as the authority, and that means that it's a church that the people within that church are committed to God's word as the authority. And that means that for those of us, right, again, if you're questioning if the Bible's true, man, that's awesome. Keep questioning, keep coming. For those of us who are committed to it's true, the question is, are you picking and choosing the pieces that you want to listen to? Is there something in God's word that, as the authority, is instructive in your life, but you don't really like what it says? So you're like, yeah, I'll just come back to the IHOP another night and see if that syrup's still there to choose from. Or you're like, man, I'm going to obey it. And I'm going to do it. Because Jesus said it. Is it guiding our decisions? The ideal church is a church that is committed to God's word. And I think that this is off script. I'm just going to do it. <clears throat> I think if you're in the class after this service, you, 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 you were talking about these things. I think for churches over the past four years, and I think the churches going into the next election cycle, got to focus on what does the book say. There are going to be a lot of things that the book does not specifically address. That will be happy for some people. That will frustrate other people. What does the book say on this issue? Let's stick to what the book says. And on the issues to which the book does not speak, let us love and discuss those issues with charity and with grace. Yes, amen. We are not going to take an issue that is not spoken in Scripture and elevate that issue to the level of Scripture. I never, ever, ever, ever want to add a single thing to this book that is not here as a commander instruction and say God's word speaks clearly to this if it doesn't. 
I never want to take an issue of a speed limit and say, well, the Bible says you should drive. Well, it does, I guess, say follow authorities. That's a bad illustration. I never want to add more to the book, nor do I ever want to take away any part of the book. Committed to God's word <clears throat> as the authority. What's another picture of the ideal church? Well, we kind of see it in this next phrase, right? They were devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, fellowship is this really interesting word that I didn't really understand it, right? Well, I did. It has the, the idea of partnership or sharing life together. It's kind of linked with when people are in marriage, the depth of connectivity. It's this sense, what it's conveying, that in this first group, and now it's like three or $4,000 uh, people, there was a connectivity among them. And it wasn't just on Sunday mornings when they got together. It wasn't just when they walked into the middle school at the First Church of Jerusalem with the happy blowing flags, we're so glad you're here. This was something throughout the week they were doing life together, right? We see that here, they're voted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread. What we saw last week is this phrase is interchangeable. Sometimes this phrase refers to the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate together, but other times it just means, man, they were having, they, they were getting together having some Pepe's pizza, right? This refers to regular meals in people's houses, and it wasn't just Sunday because we see in the next verse, I think it's verse 46, where it said, day by day, so like every day, regularly, they were going to the temple together, and then they were breaking bread in their homes. They were like, all right, let's go to the temple. That's still part of their religious cycle. They've got to figure out as Christians, do we do temple or not? But they go to the temple, and they're like, hey, bro, man, I just bought me some hot dogs from Lishu's. You want to come over for a cookout? And they're like, yeah. And they were having lunches together and meals together and dinners together. They were doing life together. The Fifth trait of the ideal church is they're doing life together. Doing life together. A connectedness. What we want at Calvary Church as we think about building a body is to have a body that is known, cared for, and connected. You will not know everybody at Calvary Church, but we want you to be known by at least one person at Calvary Church, and we want you to know at least one person. We don't want you just to come and go without anybody knowing how you're doing and what's going on and how they can support you and how they can connect you and how they can put you to other places that might be helpful. An ideal group of Christians does life together. They gather together for encouragement, for authenticity, to shape, to iron, sharpen iron, right? We said a few weeks ago, ain't no knife. You got to or the knife to get sharper has to hit up against something else. It doesn't get sharp laying by itself all in the little drawer all alone. And the same is with people. Doing life together, connectedness, encouragement, so that you got your band of brothers, so they got your people. Not so that you huddle together in the bunker with your people, but so that your people encourage you as you go out to take on the mission and do what you got to do. If you don't have people to support you on the mission, you're never going to successfully have strength and encouragement as you do your mission. Some, there are moments that I've burnt out, toast. I mean, there's been people in my life who I've done life with who give encouragement and help <coughs> fuel me so that I can keep doing what God calls me to do. And some of you are facing really hard times that I can't even imagine. You're facing questions in your life that you don't know the answer to. You're facing tragedy. You're facing betrayal. 
You're facing really hard medical things, really hard financial things. And some of you, it's compounded by the fact that you're going through those things alone and that you don't have anybody to listen to. <clears throat> now, sometimes we as groups of Christians, we fail each other. And you come to speak to us, and we don't love you as well as we should. We don't encourage you as well as we should. But hey, you probably don't do it as well as you should for somebody else at other times in your lives. We're not perfect, but being disconnected does not make it any easier. And if you're the knife that's sitting in the drawer all by yourself, it only makes those hard times harder. The ideal church does life together. And as they were devoted to their, committed to what they were doing as their group, as they were doing life together, as they were keeping Jesus' work as their center, as they were, as they were right, committed to his God's word, you know what they saw? They saw God working. They saw God working. Verse 30, 43 says this, and awe, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. This group of 3,000 people, when they paused and they looked around at what God was doing in their midst, they had this sense of, of awe, this holy reverence, this sense of divine presence. These people were doing all these things they were devoted to, and what they saw and what they realized is, whoa, God's working. Whoa. This is a divine moment when the power of God and the presence of God is working in our group and he's doing things that are attributable only to him. It's not attributable to how great a leader Peter or James were. I don't mean this Peter, I mean Bible Peter. It's attributable to the Holy Spirit. Here's the sixth trait of an ideal church. They can visibly see God's favor and God at work. They can visibly see God's favor and God at work. I've been here nine plus years, and I am so grateful for over those years how I personally have seen God work in this group. Over those Nine years, he has done things, he is doing things. He is doing things in our church right now because like I mentioned, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you want to read about it, after this, man, we have a bunch of people who stick around this room and we're having conversations about culture, about how the Bible addresses policy things we should believe, about what hills to die on, and God is allowing us to have conversations as a church that other churches, it would be a hand grenade and a nuclear bomb that would split that place in two. He is working in the way that we're having meaningful engagement, dialoguing about culture and Christianity. God's at work over the nine years. Um, I've had the privilege of personally walking and getting to know some of you. And man, I have seen God do an incredible work in your life. I have seen the desire of some of you to grow in your understanding of God's word and have that impact how you apply God's word. Um, and the people that you are now are not the people that you were nine years ago because God's been at work and God's been present and God's been shaping and working in your lives. I've watched over nine years bunch of you, that you came here and you sat on the blue chairs and you were so grateful for how people served you and your family. 
how people proactively reached out to you to make you feel connected and make you feel known and make you feel cared for. And now, that's you. You're serving. And you're proactively reaching out to other people to make sure they're known, they're connected, they're cared for. And what you are doing in their lives is having such fruit and such impact for other people that want to be loved and cared for and connected. And that's God at work. All of those snapshots are instances of the presence of God and the favor of God at work in Calvary Church. And it is amazing to see when the Spirit of God works through the people of God for the glory of God, man, that's great to be part of. An ideal church is a church that can visibly see God's favor and God at work. And part of what God was doing was allowing these people to selflessly care for one another. We see that in the next clauses. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, it's really important to spend 10 seconds making sure we properly understand that. This is not, it's not, it is not like we're going to pool everything and then redistribute it equally. That is not what's being described here, okay? Because what you see through the rest of the New Testament, even here, people still kept their stuff. This was not, I'm going to give you, this is not, this would not be a blessing to you. I'm going to give you my four 20-year-old cars and just we're going to divide them up equally. You'd be like, bro, you gave me a car that don't work. What would you do? This is not communism. It's not socialism. It's not everybody put the money in the pot. And if there's 250 people here, everybody gets divided up in 250, you get thirds, okay? That's not what's going on. This is what's going on. When the people heard that some single mom in their group or some person in their group or somebody lost a job in their church or somebody cow died or somebody needed a new camel, what would happen was, right, they sold their possessions and belonging and distributed the proceeds as all. What somebody would say is, well, man, I got me an antique clock. Let me put that thing on eBay. Sell it. Get the proceeds. I'm really into eBay now, by the way. If you see me drive, if you see me cruising down the river in a boat, it's because I've become an eBay millionaire. It's not going to happen, but that's what they were doing. They would hear of a need. They know they had some extra resources. They'd sell a little bit of what they had, and they'd let the proceeds be used to meet that need. Seventh trait of an ideal church is that people generously care for each other. People generously care for each other. Here are three ways that today. You may be able to generously care for somebody else in this body, in this group. First way, a way for you to tangibly generously care for another person, you can give your time. Maybe that's a resource that you have that could benefit them. There is a, man, amazing couple that has been part of Calvary Church for decades, given their lives to Calvary Church, who because of health issues were in a situation that, man, they needed some windows washed. So you know what? A few of you dudes from men's night, Got you some brawny paper towels and Windex. And you went over and washed windows. And you gave up your time. You gave up your Saturday, some hours, to generously care for another person. You can give and generously care by giving of your time. Is there somebody who needs something done that you can care for them through time? You can generously care for somebody by giving encouragement. We live in a world 
filled with discouragement. Yeah. You try driving anywhere in Fairfield County and some other driver will discourage you with what they think of your driving. I mean, it, we're, we're, you know what? It's a, this is a rough, I'm from here. And I'm a daggum good Yankee. But man, this is a tough place to live, right? Because like, you, you tell the person at the pizza place, hey, I ordered a pepperoni and you gave me an anchovy. And they're like, well, you screwed up. Ah! We're, we're, we're quick, we're direct, right? Which is good, but in that directness and the quickness, there's not a whole lot of time of encouragement. There's a time of what we want, we want you to know, we want you to, tell you, know, you, we want you to know as quickly and efficiently as we can tell you. There's positives about that. But what a negative is, we sometimes think that encouraging words are surplusage. That's a lawyer word. You know what surplusage is? Surplusage is when you're reading a statue and there's all these blah, blah, blahs that don't have anything to do with anything, so you just don't worry about them. Extra words that fill the air that don't amount to anything. What some of us sometimes think, perhaps, is, well, encouragement doesn't move me further down the court. And yeah, I should tell that person they did a great job mowing my lawn or did the bib, but man, I got to go. And I'll get to it. Some of you can generously care for another person. Just give a word of encouragement. Encouragement to speak courage into somebody. That's what it means. To give them courage in what they're doing and what they're facing so that they can take another step. Man, you're doing a great job. Hey, thanks for leading my community group. My wife and I love coming here. Hey, thanks for reaching out to me and asking me if I wanted to come to Grief Share with you because I was going through a hard time and your experience making sure I was cared for, you impacted my life in a moment of the deepest grief in the way nobody else could. Tell the youth leaders or the student leaders who work 40 or 50 hours a week and then they come to take care of your kids for free because they love it. Man, say thank you to them. Encourage them. We can give our time. We can give encouragement. And the third way to generously care for other people in a body is to give money or something material to them to meet the need. I've told you countless times, the countless ways that my family and I um, have been overwhelmingly blessed because of the generosity of people who either the Lord is financially blessed beyond their wildest dreams, and they're like, man, I've got open hands, it's all his, how can I help somebody else? And we were seminary students who couldn't scrape together two black beans to eat for dinner, to when we had minivans leaking oil at the gas station that I was crawling under to put duct tape around, to vacation, man, we've been blessed. And we try to bless, and you have a way that you can bless other pe people around you. That's what these guys were doing. What was the attitude with which they were doing it? Was the attitude, oh, I gotta go to church again. Was the attitude like, oh, I gotta go to a cookout at that person's house. Oh, I gotta go wash that person's window. Was the attitude when they came together this? Have you ever seen that attitude? If you haven't, come stand up here for a Sunday. <laughs> gotcha! Here's what it said, right? Here's the attitude with which they did it. Acts 2, 46, we see what they say. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were devoted, everything they were doing, when they were connected, right? This shows the hearts that they had, glad and generous 
hearts. This was a church that was filled with joy. This was a church that enjoyed being together, and there was happiness, and there was excitement, and there was joy. This generous, this is the one I didn't really know what it means. It has this nuance of, this is weird, it has this nuance of free from rocks, or smooth. In the Greek, that's what that word is, this idea of, man, the relationships, there was gladness, and it was smooth. They weren't running into the rocks of conflict. They weren't hitting the speed bumps of disagreement. It's going to come because they're fallen and broken people just like you and me. We are about a chapter or a few verses away on Acts till this changes and conflict comes. But for a moment, man, there wasn't conflict. There was smoothness in the relationships. The relationships went well, and there was glad hearts. Glad hearts. Here's the eighth trait. People are joyful and not grumpy. It's true. Just tell you what God's word says. People are joyful and not grumpy. In case you think I'm a flippant 50-year-old who's just saying stuff, let me read to you the wise words of a sage counsel who's like 80, Chuck Swindoll. See, so old, some of you don't even know who he is. Here's what he wrote, right? A long face heavy-hearted attitude has now invaded the ranks of Christianity. Old boy wrote this like 20 years ago, too. (sighs) What would he write now? A long-faced, heavy-hearted attitude has now invaded the ranks of Christianity. Visit most congregations today and search for signs of happiness and sounds of laughter, and you often come away disappointed. Why? Why? Why are so many Christians so grumpy? I'm not saying y'all are grumpy. I told you before, I never try to make a point with you through a sermon. If I don't like how you drive in the parking lot, I'm not going to have a sermon on how to drive in the parking lot. I'm going to come up to you and say, you drive like a knucklehead in the parking lot, right? So I'm not addressing any particular grumpiness on you. I'm just saying in general, why? This is why. I bet you could go into so many churches today in America, and if somebody even begins to whisper or laugh at something, man, heads flick like that person's on the way to hell. It's true. Why have we kind of esteemed a sour, dour continence and said that laughter and joy cannot be a spiritual? Why have Christians done that? We do, some people do do that. They think it's more reverent to be grumpy than it is to express the joy of the Lord with other believers who have the same joy. Why is there so much conflict among us? broadly. Question is, now we will put the microscope on us a little bit. Am I, are you, adding joy into our gatherings together, or are we adding grumpiness to our gatherings together? Are you adding joy to your interactions with people here? Now, I also, I also get frustrated in churches, and we're wrapping up here in 25 minutes or so, it's going to be fine. (laughs) I also get frustrated in churches um, as a pastor when there is this expectation that we always have to come in here as happy as we can be like we're having the best day of our life. That frustrates me, right? Because some of you are not having the best day of your life. And so for any leader to get on the stage and Um, suggest that you respond a certain way when that's not what your heart is feeling. That's not a fair position or even a godly position. We weep with those who are weeping. 
but we also rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? It's not an either or, it's a both and. And in churches, we have to not make people feel fake if they're not being happy. But at the same time, if you go to church for 72 years and every single Sunday you're grumpy and you have a look like somebody just ran over your puppy, man, you need to, you need to think about your heart. The trait of an ideal church is people are joyful and not grumpy. And this church had an amazing reputation. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people favor with all people. Next trait, it's well-liked and it's respected in its broader community. The ideal church is well-liked and respected in its broader community. I love when I bump into people around Trumbull and tell them where I work because people do have a good, great uh, view of Calvary Church. They appreciate what we do for their kids. They share a story of somebody they know here, right? By and large, man, the uh, I'm grateful for how God has allowed us to be the sweet aroma of Jesus to people around him. Th- this church, this church, Acts 2 church, had great reputation in Jerusalem, but ultimately that reputation was based upon the reputation of the individual people in the church. And so what will continue to shape our reputation collectively is all of y'all's reputation individually. Because when you're out there and people think about Jesus and people think of Calvary Church, they think about you. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you say, I attend Calvary Church, then part of the reputation of Jesus and Calvary Church is directly linked with the reputation of you. What's your reputation? If I were to ask your neighbors, hey, what do you think of this person? What would they say? If I were to ask your coworkers, what do you think of this person? What would they say? What would the people say that you engage with on social media? What would the people say that you disagree with? What would be your reputation? Because in many ways, your reputation is what shapes our reputation, and our reputation is what impacts Jesus' reputation. And the ideal church is well-liked and respected in the greater community. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here as we wind down this sermon and this series. And, And we've seen 10 traits of this church, or nine traits. Empowered by God, devoted and committed participants, keep Jesus and his work central, committed to God's word as the authority. They do life together. They can visibly see God's favor and God at work. People generously care for each other. People are joyful and not grumpy, and it's well-liked and respected in its larger community. So it's been on the screen. It's there. Maybe some of you taking notes, and so just two quick questions to ask you, and then we'll wind down. What can you do? right, to lean into and to strengthen one of these disappearing traits. You can go, that was your segue. Look at that, right? What can you do as the traits roll off the screen (laughs) to strengthen or to bolster or to make one of those stronger? What can you do, right? How can you build upon an already strength? How can you personally do that? Nine different options. What's one way that you can make one of those things stronger here because of a decision or a choice or an action that you take? Love for you to think about that this week. Second thing is on the flip side of it. What are you doing that maybe is weakening one of those traits here at Calvary? What are you not doing that if you were to start doing it would make one of those traits stronger? So what can you do to make one of those traits stronger And what do you need to change or do differently because what you're doing now may not be making one of those strengths as strong as it can. We 
have an amazing opportunity in this cultural moment to be the people of God who are empowered by the Spirit of God for the glory of God in Fairfield County. We have that moment. We can be a bunch of fighting knuckleheads, or we can say, man, we're a bunch of chip vessels, but we're chasing after Jesus with everything we got, depending on the Holy Spirit, and we want to make an impact for the good of the gospel and the people around him. And the choice of what we want to be comes down to us, and the choice of what we want to be comes down to you. And we're going to start in Revelation probably the seven churches, right, where Jesus has some good things to say but some other bad things to say about churches. I'd love to be a church that it was only good things he said about us. Where he said, man, I gave you a cultural opportunity to shine like a light on a hill, and man, you guys grabbed it. And I worked through you to change the lives of your neighbors and the kids on your sport teams and the kids in your school and the kids on your construction site for the glory of Jesus. Anybody can play church. Anybody. I don't want to play church. Life's too short. I'd probably, honestly rather not even bother. If we're going to play church, put a sign on the door and turn this thing into Chick-fil-A. It'd probably be better for the town of Trumbull. But man, the town of Trumbull doesn't need a Chick-fil-A. It desperately needs a group of humble, loving, spirit-empowered people who do life well for the glory of Jesus. You want to be those people? Let's be those people. Let's be those people. Father, thank you for putting out before us how you worked in a group of people a long time ago and for giving us a picture of what we should be focused on and what we should not be focused on. And if we try to do it on our own strength, God will only fail. We'll only give in to pride or discouragement. And so we know that you're the one that builds this house. And so we pray you will continue to build and continue to work and continue to shape us and continue to humble us and continue to allow us to navigate conflict in a loving, kind, strengthening way. And we want to keep seeing you work here in your midst. So thank you for these words. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the ultimate shepherd of this. Um, and we want you to be glorified. Amen.